You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Our title for today is pretty simple, How to Pray, Three Simple Steps from Jesus. These are three very clear, very simple steps that Jesus gave to us directly in his Sermon on the Mount, specifically right there at the, uh, the passage that inclu- includes the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father, that probably one of the most repeated passages in all of the Bible. It's a universal prayer. It's a model prayer. It's a, uh, it gives us categories for how to pray, and we want to look at those right now. Last time that I spoke, we talked about anxiety, and that's further down in the chapter on, uh, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he says, the, the evil of that day is enough for that day. Don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. One of the best tools that Jesus gave us was uh, prayer. And Philippians 4.8 says that uh, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situa- situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. We struggle with stress. We struggle with anxiety. We struggle with worry. All of us do. It's part of being human. It's part of living life. How do we do what God says to do? He says, pray and let me show you how. So before we go into this passage, let's let's pray. Let's pray for for this moment. God will be with us to hear from the Spirit, hear from His Word. Pray with me, please. Dear Father, I thank you so much for uh, the blessing of your Word. God, um, over thousands of years, there have been men that um, have been inspired to write down your thoughts to, to the world. Amazing, amazing gift, amazing blessing. Lord, I pray that t- today as we look into your word, that we'll know that these are straight from your heart, that you care for us, you want to communicate with us. That's why we have the Bible, that's why we have church That's why we have singing. That's why we have fellowship and preaching. Lord, you desire to reveal yourself to us, to lead us, to guide us, to comfort us, to instruct us. And so we ask for that, that um, all of our hearts, I need to feed from the gospel this morning. Personally, we all always need to feed from the gospel. I think Jesus, as you stood up and said, I am the bread of life, you invited all to come and, and metaphorically to take you in. Our souls are longing for spiritual nourishment. We love to eat. Our souls need to be nourished. We get depleted. Our gas tanks get empty. We get to a place where we just say, Lord, I need the the energy, the meaning, the purpose, the, the desire, the ability to take one more step, to deal with the stresses of our day and our week, and um, how to do it, God. You show us how. You're so good. You're the perfect father. You're the perfect father. And uh, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move with power this morning. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. How to pray three simple steps from Jesus. Yes, we all want peace. We all want rest in our souls. We all want to know that what we're doing has meaning. We all want to know that we are doing God's will. If we have received Christ into our hearts, at our very core, we're saying, Lord, let my life match with your will. Show me. How does God show us his will? One of the very best tools that he shows us how to make decisions, how to walk by faith, is by prayer. But before we go further, I just want to say this is a special message only for those in this room and that are watching online. Karma, by the way, is traveling from New Mexico back home, and she's trying to watch on the phone. So if you want to say hi to Karma, they are somewhere in the desert of the Southwest uh, tuning in to the well service. Um, it's only for those of us that have a prayer life that's less than three hours a day. Everybody else that has a prayer life where you, you pray three hours or more a day, you don't have to listen to this. But for anybody, seriously, seriously this is for everybody. Um, this is really for us that have really struggled in our personal, private prayer lives. Um, I know, but I just, I just want to say this moving forward, that I know that there are those among us to say, you know, honestly, I've had times of struggle, but right now, prayer is one of my strongest parts of my Christian life. And I know that we can learn from you on that. But most prayer warriors, probably all prayer warriors say, whether they're in a healthy season of prayer or struggle with prayer, would say, I want to learn more. So yeah, this sermon is for all of us. Jesus gives us three simple steps. How would you feel? If someone came up to you and said and asked you this question, how is your personal prayer life? If you were to sit down with someone and they were to take out a calendar and a notebook and said, let's go through this past month day by day and discuss the details of how you got alone with God. Now, there are lots of types of prayer. There is instant prayers where you're stepping into maybe a difficult situation, a difficult meeting or a difficult talk with, a, with somebody in the family or at work, and you just say, Lord, help. That's an amazing biblical prayer. But today, we're talking about a personal, private prayer life based on the model prayer that Jesus gave us in the Sermon on the Mount. There's lots of types of prayer. There's good prayers that are, you can do while you're driving. There's lots of good prayers that you can do just walking around throughout the day, just talking to God. But if someone said, let's talk about your private, personal prayer life, how much did you actually get alone with God this month? How, um, how did you spend that time with God? How do you feel about those hours of private time? Did you worship God in that private time? Did that private time make you excited? Were those prayers answered? Some of us might get uh, a little bit nervous. It'd be kind of like pulling out my checkbook or my credit card statement and just going line by line and say, how did you really spend your money this month? We all like to say, hey, I'm a pretty wise guy with a wise user of finances. How do we actually spend our time and our effort 
in prayer. Feels even worse. It makes me feel bad to think about that. If someone were to sit down and uh, go through my actual minutes of every day, but it actually feels worse sometimes when I think of other great Christians that had amazing prayer lives. Uh, Martin Luther, it's commonly known that Martin Luther prayed several hours a day. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said about Martin Luther in one of his sermons. Quote, I like that saying of Martin Luther when he says, I have so much business to do today that I shall not be able to get through it with less than three hours prayer. Most people would say, Spurgeon goes on to say, I have so much business to do today, I only have three minutes for prayer. I can't afford the time. But Luther thought that the more he had to do, the more he must pray, or else he could not get through it. Martin Luther. Another one of our Heroes of the faith is David Brainerd. David Brainerd was a missionary to the Native Americans in the 1700s. Jonathan Edwards wrote a biography about David Brainerd, and he said this in his biography. David Brainerd was a man who prayed so passionately and persistently, he would often take whole days and set them aside simply for prayer and fasting. All day long, prayer and fasting. He would shut himself away from work and from ministry and of his passionate praying it was said that he would often kneel down in the snow. He was ministering up in the northeast where the early colonies were. And in the snow he would pray in the dead of winter and when he stopped praying there would be a circle of melted snow all around him. Having formed solely from his body heat. Jonathan Edwards says, now that's praying. That is praying. David Brainerd. Where are these people like this today? Well, to get personal, my dad is a prayer warrior like that. My 78-year-old father prays like that. I was on the phone with him the other day, and he says, you know, Donnie, I, I can't get through the day without two hours of prayer. This is something he doesn't tell anybody. I guess I do that for him. He says that he paces around the sanctuary of the church where he serves, marching. I know my dad, he doesn't really walk. He marches everywhere he goes, praying, praying, praying for his heart, praying for his family, praying for his church, praying that God's will would be done. And sometimes my mom says he'll come in, she'll come in and see him spread eagle or on his knees before the pulpit, praying every day for two hours. But dad's been doing this for decades. It's actually become kind of a family joke, Dad's prayer life, because um, um, there's several of us in our family that struggle with ADD. And um, Dad, in order to focus in prayer through the years, would plug his ears and then put uh, silencers over his head and then blindfold himself so that he would not be distracted during his prayers. Dad was a pastor bivocationally and a maintenance man, and he had a shop, and off of that shop there was a furnace room, and during his lunch hour, he would get into the furnace room and pray, spend his lunchtime praying to God, and he would squish between the wall and the furnace and get into the corner and get down on his knees and put on his blindfold and put in his earplugs and put on his headgear, and he would start praying, and more than once, someone had to get Dad at lunchtime, and they come into the shop, 
and uh, couldn't find dad, start calling for, for, for my dad. And they would look around, maybe they heard something in the furnace room. So they looked and there was a great surprise when they went into the furnace room and we saw this random little man back behind uh, the furnace on the corner on his knees talking to God. Dad would put his earplugs in while he walked and he would carry his prayer list with him and uh, he would march forward and he had his head down and his eyes mostly closed as he prayed to God and more than once we saw him run right into a tree. I love my dad. Some of the best memories I had, I grew up on a farm out by uh, Kozad um, and our farm was surrounded with fields and many times we couldn't find dad we just go out and start scanning the horizon of the fields. And we see his figure leaning forward, walking. Our father was praying. Sometimes our parenting happens by example in moments you don't even know about of what your kids see and are impacted and remember the rest of your lives. You know, I think about the testimonies that we have at the well and how... Uh, Oftentimes when we talk about our fathers, there's, there's brokenness and there's um, neglect and there's abuse and there's disappointment. And when we claim to the vision and the mission of this church that we will be a transformed family, it is our opportunity right now to see fathers like that that can look and say, you know what, I don't think about that like my dad, but I can be that kind of a dad for my kids that your legacy can be transformed, that the, the family tree that you came from can change in your generation. And we see evidence that it has. challenge that I have about these inspirational stories about these great Christians and their prayer lives is it can be overwhelming and discouraging. Oftentimes I ask, what kind of air are these people breathing? Are they just different than I am? Uh, maybe we can say, well, some people just have more faith than I do. Or we might try to follow their example by works. Try to emulate the externals by works instead of grace. And either way, we give up. We feel shut out from a great experience with God. In my experience, a lot of times talking about prayer and trying to pray, pray can leave me discouraged, distant, and confused, even when looking at the great examples of, of those around us. Praise God, Jesus gives us a better way. Jesus simplifies prayer. Really, in the Bible, there isn't anything that Jesus makes more clear than how to pray. At the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer, he talks to his 12 disciples, and uh, they're asking him, teach us how to pray, and he says, pray like this. You know, Joe, I don't know in the Bible where he says, preach like this. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, run the church like this. I know we have uh, clear instructions for how to live as, as all of our different categories of life. But nothing is more clear than Jesus teaching us, pray like this. And this is the bottom line. Prayer is simply talking with God. It's talking with God. Not just talking to God. Talking with God. 
makes all the difference. We can include God's word, his written word in our prayers. We can feel impressed by the Holy Spirit according to his written word in prayer. But to know this, that we are entering into a privileged gift where we can have a dialogue with our Father. Every Christian can have an amazing prayer life, just like the old hymn says, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. I don't know if you know about this hymn, or I grew up on this hymn, but uh, this old hymn says, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care. It bids me at my Father's throne. That means it invites me into His throne room. Do you know that's the kind of God that you have? that looks at your life right where you are, looks at your week, exactly what you've done, your thoughts, your actions, your motives, and he said, come on in to my royal throne room and make all my wants and wishes known. He wants to hear from you. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief. The writer says, and often I've escaped the tempter's snare. By thy return, he keeps saying this in the song, by thy return. What does it mean, by thy return, sweet hour of prayer? Because Jesus, often to us, seems like he's left. We don't feel him, we don't sense him, we don't hear him. But in prayer, there is a return. One day, there'll be an actual, full, into the world return. By thy return, in that time of personal, private prayer, Jesus shows up. The writer says, sweet hour of prayer. Let's look at three simple steps that Jesus gives on how to pray. So if we just look at the three simple steps from Jesus, the first one, if we can sh uh, switch the slide to the, to the three. Um, okay, I guess I thought we had another slide in between that, but the three are prayer takes preparation. Jesus tells us, there it is. Prayer starts with praise. Is the second one. And number three, prayer has power. Three simple steps that Jesus gives us from the Sermon on the Mount. Prepare to pray. Praise in prayer. And know this, prayer has power. Let's read verse five. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Shall we read this passage? Shall we read all the way through in Matthew 6, 5 through 15? Says, Jesus says, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Next slide. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. In this passage, we're going to go through about half of it. We see the first three steps. Jesus says, prepare to pray. Start with praise. And finally today is, remember, prayer has power. So I've kind of jumped around a little bit. So Isaac, if you can get uh, kind of caught up, I'm sorry. I, uh, I didn't read the passage at the normal time that we did. So uh, we can just go on to num number one here. Number one, prayer takes preparation. And again, Jesus is getting them ready. And he says, look at the prayers that you see in our day. Well, this is the Jewish people in Israel. And they had the temple system and all of the leaders. And the leaders were the Pharisees. And they would see the Pharisees out in public praying. And he says, they're hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen of others. It was at a corrupt state in Israel's life. There were a lot of corrupt seasons in Israel's life. Sadly, the leaders took one of the very best gifts of God and said in their heart, you know, I just want to, be, I just want to see what people think of me. Jesus says, well, if that's what you want, you get your reward. You want to impress people? Well, the best thing you'll get is to impress people. I'm not involved. One of the biggest challenges that we see right from here is pride when we pray. Pride. Just recently, Isaac and Daniel um, graduated from high school. The uh, principal of Nebraska Christian texted me and said, would you be willing to pray at the end of the services? Now, I don't know what you think about uh, people that stand up and uh, speak and pray and preach and but this is what was going through my head. Number one, Lord, bless your people. Bless these seniors. May we talk to you. That was part of me. The other part of me was, I sure hope I look good to everybody. I sure I don't say something stupid. There was a uh, speaker there that uh, they had paid for expenses to come in from Arizona, and he gave his message to the seniors charging them with their life ahead and uh, I was introduced as uh, now here's one of our local pastors and I'm like well here I come and I felt this struggle this this challenge with pride what are people going to think what am I going to say Lord even even as I started trying to say Lord I want your name to be glorified I felt my prideful motives saying now how can I do it just right so that God's name will be glorified and I won't look bad either. Pride, especially in public prayer, is one of the biggest challenges to having intimacy with God. Notice here it also says a reward. I've been studying through the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm shocked, surprised. Over and over and over it talks about if you do this that you is not according to my will, you'll get a negative reward. And if you do that, that is according to my will, 
you'll get a positive reward. There's a very practical side of grace. One of the logical problems of grace is we think that if God loves me no matter what, then it doesn't matter what I do. Well, guess what? My wife loves me no matter what, and it does matter what I do. Spouses, can you agree that it does matter what you do in a covenant of unconditional love? You want to get along with God? Follow his way. You want to get along with your spouse or those in home or at the job? Follow the right way. And Jesus is saying, here's the wrong way. Here's the right way. What do you want to do? Secondly, we see that this kind of prayer is private and structured. Verse 6 says, when, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. And pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Go into your room and close your door. Do you have a prayer room? Does it have a door? You ever said, you know, if God would just tell me what to do, life would be so much more simple. Well, guess what? God's telling us what to do. And I'm thinking, well, metaphorically, what does he really mean? Get a prayer room. Get a special spot. Get a door on it. What's the big picture reason? Just like the example of my dad, it's so easy for the enemy to attack us, attack us by distraction. Get prepared. You want to spend time alone with God? Find a place. Find a place with walls around you. They will shield out distraction. If there's opportunity, just um, preparing for this message, trying to pray. My prayer room is also my office and my everything room and my storeroom and but I closed the door and I got on my knees and I started to, to pray and uh, I've got my cell phone I've got my laptop I've got my devices get them out of there because I guarantee you once you enter into spiritual warfare in prayer the enemy will engage with my human nature there will be distractions. I heard the old preacher talk about the example of the fly in his prayer room. And that he did all that he had to do in order to spend time alone with God. And as he started to pray, he heard this fly buzzing around the room. And all the preacher could think about was the fly buzzing around the room. And then he would hear the fly land on the windowsill and it would be quiet. And he says, okay. And then the fly would start buzzing. It totally wrecked his prayer time. You know, Jesus, or the enemy is called the Lord of the Flies. We're easily distracted, aren't we? Jesus says, let's get practical. You want to pray? Let's get prepared. You want to spend time of closeness with me? Let's have a special place. Then it says, to your father in secret. Pray to your father in secret. Isn't it amazing to think that your father wants to be alone with you? J.I. Packer is one of the uh, most influential evangelicals really in the last 50 to 100 years. He recently passed away and uh, they went up and says, uh, could you describe your personal prayer life? And I won't say exactly what this little old man said. You can look it up. You can Google it. 
But he said like this, to describe my personal private prayer time would be like trying to explain to you how I hug and kiss my wife. Those aren't his words. He used something a little more direct. It's a time of intimacy. It's a time of loneliness. It's a secret time in a room alone together with your God. That's what he's saying. Let's get prepared to meet in secret. And he says, I will reward you. The heart of your God says, I want to give you myself. I want to bless you. A little bit later, we're probably going to talk about, if I remember and stick to my notes better than I have so far, we'll find out that the very heart of God, the very core of who God is, how you define that in your heart, it changes everything about how you parent, about how you're married, about how you do everything. How you see God. Is God standoffish? Is God hard to please? Is God a pushover? God is holy. I'm broken. He's made a way so that he can get alone in secret with you. One-on-one. I want to reward you. And he says, I'll reward you openly. You want those open, visible prayers? You want to see things happen in your life? Then get in secret with me. God is being super practical. Next thing that we see is that uh, the, compti, the, the constant temptation of empty phrases when it comes to prayer. Verse 7 says this, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that all they say will be heard for their many words. Uh, they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Some of us are brand new to the faith. Uh, some come from different traditions. Some are more high church or low church. I come from a Baptist background and low church and informal. Um, really enjoy all tribes that are biblical. I had this uh, community worship service when I was uh, pastoring in Danabrog. And we had people from all different tribes join together to pray for our community. And uh, I was thinking, let's, let's just look over the Lord's Prayer. And so as I looked out at this mixed crowd of people from all different denominations, I said, I um, just want to read here from, from the Sermon on the Mount. And I started saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And the whole congregation, well, about two-thirds of the congregation started repeating after me robotically, Our Father, who art in... Have you ever been at a funeral or maybe at a wedding or at some event where uh, someone just started saying, Our Father, and some magic code went off in people's heads and uh, most of the congregation started reciting the Lord's Prayer. I didn't grow up with that. I don't click into that gear. And uh, most of the time I'm looking around saying, now, how does the Lord's Prayer go? And I'm making sure I'm kind of mumbling through the words correctly. Well, that happened to me. Isn't it strange that the very prayer that is often repeated robotically is right after Jesus says, don't do that. Don't heap up empty phrases. Then there's this other phrase right in this passage that says, God already knows what you're praying about. 
Does your logical brain kick in, Mike, and say, well, if God already knows, why should I pray? I go there. Um, if God already knows everything, then why? Because God wants to have a relationship with us. He wants that dialogue. He wants to talk back and forth. He doesn't want us to have empty phrases. He doesn't want him to kick into robot mode. He wants to talk with us, even though he already knows the end from the beginning. He says, ask me. Mamas, don't you love it when your little kid comes up to you and says, can I have a hug? Can I have supper? Nothing's more challenging than uh, trying to talk to a, a child and they just blow you off. Come on. Let's talk. Let's dialogue. Let's interact. Prayer is not also magic. It's not a mantra. The word mantra is used a lot these days. If you listen to business podcasts or read self-help books, there's a lot said about mantras. And I don't have any particular beef with saying the word mantra or repeating phrases, but mantra actually comes from Eastern mysticism that says that you can go into a hypnotic state if you just say the right phrase over and over and over and over and over the brain. There's something about hypnotism that some people are very open to. Actually, I heard a podcast by a hypnotist that's trying to make money at his hypnotism job where he goes from high school to high school doing assemblies. And he said that when I bring people forward, I can tell which ones can be easily hypnotized. And I'm trying to filter that spiritually, going, I wonder, I wonder what he's seeing, I wonder why. But the brain is complex, and we can do things that use a mantra to get us into some sort of heightened psychological state. It's not magic, it's not psychological tricks with our brain. We're talking with God in a meaningful way. I love the Lord of the Rings. You remember the Fellowship of the Ring is trying to get through in the mountain pass and, and the, the evil um, villain is, is calling on the heavens to snow down upon them and the little hobbits can't make it through the mountain snow. And so Frodo says, we're going through the mountains of Moria or through the mines of Moria. So they leave the mountains and they go back down into the canyons and they search and they finally find the stone door entrance into the mines of Moria. And Gandalf gets in front and he starts saying all of this elvish or dwarf tongue to try to get the right magic spell to open the door. And so they said um, the magic or the, the word over the door was speak friend and enter. And Frodo says, well, just say the word friend in, El in, uh, in elvish. And he says friend in elvish and the door opens. It wasn't a magic spell after all. It just says, well, it kind of was. It was a riddle. Prayer is not a riddle. Prayer is not a mantra. Prayer is not a magic spell. Prayer is not tricks with our brain. And God is not some impersonal force that if we just say the words just right, then the doors will open. Got to say no. Our next point is that prayer starts with praise. Now that we're prepared, Jesus steps right in and says, let me show you exactly how to pray by example he starts off with our father pray then like this our father so before i let my brain or maybe you let your brain go into who art in heaven hallowed be thy name and go into the automatic quoting of this passage let's just stop and say what does the word our mean 
The word our means you are not alone. The word our is you are owned by the Father. The word our is a plural possessive. That means you're owned and you're not alone by a Father. Our Father. Do you know that human beings like to be in tribes? Because human beings are always in this kind of survival mode. That's why we have such a strong desire for food and for procreation, is that we want to survive. And there's a problem with being alone that we're vulnerable. So we might, or what's it, uh, there's strength in numbers. So we gather into gangs and we gather into political parties and we gather and build cultures because as we gather together, there's more strength in numbers. There's more strength in our tribe. There's more strength in our gang. Well, guess what? Your gang is Christianity and your gang leader is God the Father. And he says, I'm the kind of father that owns you and brings you in. And I says, I want you to talk to me and remember, you're not alone. I'm in charge. I'm your dad. You're not to wander around and wonder, what am I supposed to do? And the very first thing in the model prayer, he could have said, I am your sovereign creator, our sovereign creator. Or he could say, our holy judge. But he says, when you get alone with me, the revolutionary term, Christians, that I want you to start using is I want you to call God Dad. He's not just my dad. He's our dad. We're in a family. And we've got a dad. Our father who is in heaven. Our father in heaven. Let's just stop and think about the reality of heaven. It's been a while since I've talked about the passing of my uh, 44-year-old. I think Justin was 44 when he passed away in 2020 from brain cancer. Um, dear friend of mine, we were very close. All those thoughts about that nobody knows you like your brother, we had that. And he had quite an experience of 15 years of severe addiction. He couldn't break free from his addiction. And years before he died, something broke his addiction. He read the book Heaven by Randy Alcorn. See, Justin had the understanding that God was really just a judge and he was far off in some foggy place. And what we did down here really didn't uh, matter to God who is in heaven. And as you read the truth from Scripture about what heaven is really like, he said heaven is very near and your Father is very loving and what you do down here does affect heaven and that heaven is alive heaven is real heaven there are people in the present right now in heaven and there is interaction and communication and messengers sent from god from heaven that heaven is paradise so much of culture looks at heaven like it's some sort of cloudy place with little naked babies that are shooting arrows and i don't know what maybe when you go to heaven you're just going to say it's going to be one long prayer meeting forever and ever and ever. He says, no. Heaven's God's world. Heaven's God's place. Sometimes uh, we say home is like a little piece of heaven. Maybe some of you riding on a motorcycle think, riding my bike is kind of like a little piece of heaven. 
Maybe some of us go onto our farm or on, into our shop and say, you know what, this is my world. Well, guess what? Heaven is God's world. And that, play, that piece of comfort in mom's kitchen or that place in dad's shop or that feeling that you have uh, riding a motorcycle, there's a little bit of paradise because this is the way things ought to be for just a minute, a little taste of the way things ought to be. Well, God is in heaven where everything is the way it should be. He's not part of this twisted mess. And he rules from heaven. And as Justin started to wrestle with the reality that heaven's not going to be boring. My God isn't mad at me. And, ke- and heaven is filled with literal things and even saw that there is such thing as the new heaven and the new earth. And that one day God will restore our earth and it will be just as real as this podium, just as real as your fist. That you will know each other, that you will recognize each other, that heaven is a real place. And as he grappled with that, he started saying, I have a reason to leave my addiction now. I have a taste of a relationship with my God and where he lives that makes me say, if that's real, then I want better than my addiction and what it can give me. He broke free. Then his wife, his wife got cancer and passed away before he did. And one of the things that he taught me is to know this. Uh, when she passed away, he would talk with his three kids in the home, and he says, you know, Mama's been with Jesus for three hours. Mama's been with Jesus for three days. I wonder what Mama's doing. And instead of trying to forget Mom, he would put pictures and quotes and sayings and things that they all remembered about their mom in heaven. Because heaven is real. Heaven is present. And there's people that are alive in present tense. Mom didn't just die. She left earth and mom is still alive. And one day we're going to see mom again. And then he passed away. And we all got to practice what he taught us. To know this. Our loved ones that have passed away. They're just on a journey. You've had a friend that maybe has gone over the ocean or gone to a different state. You can just say, I'm not with them now, but I'm going to be with them in a little while. And better than that, better than seeing families and friends and loved ones, is to know this. The one that had nails driven through his hands and feet and bore the wrath of God is going to look you in the eyes and say welcome home welcome to my world our father who art in heaven heaven is real heaven is close and then the phrase says holy or hallowed be your name we have a dad And this dad is not part of this mess. This dad is not broken like our dads are broken. This dad is not part of the mess and the complicated situation of our society. Our God comes from paradise and he's holy. What does that mean? He is flawless. There's only one word that's repeated like the word holy in the Bible. Holy, holy, holy. It's the word holy. 
And you know how I like to talk about the throne room of God in Isaiah and Revelation, where all the, the heavenly creatures gather around and say, holy, holy, holy is God's name. It's because your father is perfect. He's glorious. He's without flaw. And he wants to talk to you. How we define father affects everything. Next, Jesus says prayer has power. Prepare to pray, start with praise, and never forget this. Prayer works. Prayer has power. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You know what God wants us to do when we pray? Start out with, instead of saying, Lord, you know, I have this problem, please fix it. Isn't that how, that's how I usually start my prayers. That's how I want to start my prayers. I've got a problem, Lord, help. He says, start out with saying, you're my dad. I'm not alone. I praise you that you're in heaven. I thank you that you are holy and perfect. Praise you, praise you, praise you. And then the next one is start asking for stuff. But ask not just for what I want. That's coming. That's good. That's fine. But start, if you want a prayer that really relieves the stress and the anxiety and the worry, pull ourselves away from the urgency and the crisis of the moment and start with praise. And then when you start asking for things, ask for that God's will be done, that God's kingdom will come. Lord, here's what I want. I want you to get your way. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. You know what that is? That's God calling you to intercede for him. God is asking you to pray that his will is done on earth. God wants to work with you. God wants to work through you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. It's amazing love. It's amazing trust that the character of our God wants to interact with us personally, and he has an agenda. He has a kingdom. What is the kingdom? Well, the kingdom has this nature that's already and not yet. When it says your kingdom come, we can be like the apostle that says, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We can pray for Jesus' return in the clouds. Well, I thought that date is set on the calendar. God knows. Well, there's our logical conclusions again. Yes, there is a place, and God also says there is a date on the calendar. God knows what that, that time is, but he also says pray that it will come quickly. Are you ready to transition from this world into a perfect world? Lord, come. Jesus, come. Clean it up. Make it right. Fix all the problems. Jesus, come. But also, come to me right now in your power. Let your, Jesus says the kingdom of God is within you. We talked last time about what is kingdom. It's the king's dominion. It's the king's domain. It's the king's authority. It's God's way in your heart. Let God's will be done. In earth, in my heart, both. So we, we can sit, we can move churches across the continent say bless the church in africa bless the missionaries in brazil bless the church plants in missouri and all around the world lord listens god listens to our prayers but let his kingdom be done let his will be done and then before we start asking for what i want we say lord for me personally let your kingdom come into my heart set up your rule in a new fresh way today 
in my heart and let your will be done in my heart. Doesn't that change our prayer list a little bit? Where I'm saying, I know exactly what I need. I need these three things and I need them right now. And God says, well, let's process this. Let your will be done. And suddenly number two seems irrelevant. This is how we pray in a way that removes the stress and the worry and the anxiety. Intercede with God for his will. And finally, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God chooses you and uses your prayers. God's heart is that he wants to work with you. So in conclusion, just to review, prayer takes preparation. Prayer starts with praise. Prayer has power. I'm going to be pre- uh, planning to preach here again in a couple weeks, and uh, we'll continue on with, with likely three or four more steps and finish up the Lord's Prayer on this model universal prayer that he shows us how to talk to him. God has a way that he wants us to talk to him. He says, don't come to me with guilt. Don't look at my hand. These are high standards. There's a way to do it and get a bad reward. The way, there's a way not to do it and get a bad reward. There's a way to do it and get a good reward. And that can become like a legalistic thing where all we do is feel guilt. These three steps can make us just feel guilt. We can look at the uh, example of others and just feel, Lord, I don't measure up. I don't like this. Well, first remember this. Our God is for us. He's not against us. There's two ways to relate to God. So we look at the context of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, don't let your righteousness be like the righteousness of the Pharisees. Those Pharisees that have that hard attitude says, I wonder what people are going to think of me. They're always worried about the externals and how that we can earn God's smile. God says there's another righteousness. You must have a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. That's a righteousness of the heart. God wants to come to us. God wants wants us to come to him through faith. The gospel says acknowledge God as your Lord. He says acknowledge that we're not the Lord. The gospel says admit we need a Savior. As we look at our prayer lives, we say, Lord, I need a Savior in this area of my life. I need help. Everything that's been done in the gospel, from the heart of our good God, to the mess that mankind has created in this world, to the amazing bloody cross makes it possible for a distant God to become a father like we've never had. I can use a good example of the heritage in my family. Guess what? There's times where my dad sinned, did things he shouldn't have, and I'm not going to share those right now. Every father misses the mark. And the only way that we can uh, approach our Father is to know this. Jesus Christ has made the way for us to do everything. To do any step. We can't do a single step unless we understand. All the work's been done so that now we're not alone. We have a perfect dad. And we can build a private prayer life like any of the greatest prayer warriors. Finally, I just want to share this with you. 
But I look at the example of my brother. He's got a real grip and taste of heaven. Remember this, that one day there's going to be no closed-off rooms, no closed doors. It's going to be a day of perfect relationship and perfect connection with God. And earlier we talked about uh, that old hymn, Sweet Hour of Prayer. You know that prayer was written by an English person back in the 1800s, a man that was blind, lived in this area of England that I don't know anything about called Warwickshire, England. He wasn't a pastor, but he would preach from time to time. He would memorize the messages in his mind since he couldn't read. And he wrote out Sweet Hour of Prayer in his mind, but he couldn't, didn't know how to write. This man named Thomas Salmon from New York City visited this man named William Warford, Walford. And he wrote down this song as, as the man dictated it to it from memory. Then he went and published it in a newspaper and became famous around the world. Sweet hour of prayer, he writes. Sweet hour of prayer. The joys I feel. The bliss I share. Of those whose anxious spirits burn with strong desires for your return. With such I hasten to the place where God my Savior shows his face. And gladly take my station there and wait for you, God. Sweet hour of prayer. His final verse in the song says, Sweet hour of prayer, may I thy consolation share till from Mount Pisgah's lofty height. Mount Pisgah was a high mountain in ancient Israel, still there today, and you can just see all of the valley all around. And he says, Let from Mount Pisgah's lofty height I can view my home and I can take my flight in this robe of flesh. I'll drop and rise and seize the everlasting prize and the day's coming for each one of you, if you know Jesus, that you can shout while passing through the air, farewell, farewell, sweet hour of prayer. Let's pray. Dear Father, the last thing that I want today as we look at uh, your instructions on how to pray is for there to feel a burden or a guilt or a heaviness. Lord, you work with us step by step. As we look at the chance to strengthen our prayer lives, to learn about how you want to talk with us, as you want us to make preparations to pray, and we, you want us to start our prayers with praise, and want to know that this is not just uh, empty words, but that our prayers have power. Lord, that when we fail, you're for us. You're not against us. You're going to lift us up and we're going to try and we can have our prayer lives get stronger and stronger. Lord, you've done all that's necessary that, so that we can relate to you. Jesus, I thank you that um, the gospel is not just an empty mantra that we repeat over and over to play tricks with our brain, but that we're really talking to you, that you really did come. You really did live you really did experience humanity. And you did exactly what you were called to do and you were nailed to the cross and you really did make the payment 
through your death in, in our place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that because of what you promised to do, for what you did and what you promised to continue doing, that now we can enter into the presence of not just a, a grumpy judge or a frowning creator at a distance, trying to earn our way into your pleasure. To know that you are God, our Father, the best dad that has ever been. That you love to hug your kids. You love to play with your kids. You love to dance with your kids. You love to just be with your kids. You love to just watch your kids as they do what they do. You're our Father. So I pray with joy we will seek to talk to you uh, in ways that, uh, that get through, that make sense, that become a, a difference from talking to you, but also talking with you. Bless your church. Bless them throughout this upcoming week. Bless them to feel your love and your encouragement. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.